Welcome to another edition of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week, we're going over UFC 266, headlined by two title fights, and the big return of Nick Diaz going up against Robbie Lawler in a five-round middleweight fight. Really looking forward to that. But obviously, we have the flyweight women's title on the line with Valentina Shevchenko going up against Lauren Murphy. And then the featherweight title with Alexander Volkanovsky going up against Brian Ortega. Very fun card from bottom uh, top to bottom, bottom to top, whatever you want to call it. I think there's a ton of fun fights on this card. One another one that kind of sticks out to me off the top of my head is Nazra Akbaras against Dan Hooker, Arosh Medic against Jalen Turner. Ton of fun fights, and hopefully we're able to find some betting edges for you guys this weekend to put a little extra cash in your pocket. Elephant in the room, I am not at UFC 266. I was supposed to be in Vegas this morning, but I did actually end up finding somebody that to, to buy my 266 ticket so I can put that those funds towards going to another Apex experience. Uh, I, I, I did buy my 266 ticket before I went to the Apex last time, and once I went to the Apex and got back home, I'm like, fuck... I need to go to one of these and I would rather do an Apex experience over, you know, a mediocre fight night card than one of these UFC 266 cards uh, in a in a packed arena. That experience is like none other. And I've been to over 20 UFC events in an arena. I've gotten my fill there. Now, let me go back into the Apex because who knows what it's going to look like next year when, uh, you know, when the world starts opening up a little bit more and they possibly start taking these fight nights back on the road and not at the headquarters at the Apex. So, uh, yeah, that's why I'm not in Vegas. Uh, luckily, shout out to my guy that was able to buy that ticket off of me and uh, make sure that I don't take a, lo- a full loss on this uh, on this trip that I was supposed to go out to. But still, happy to watch the fights at home here and then possibly go back to Vegas by December to take in another Apex event. Um, Yeah, so let's just get into the betting recap of UFC Vegas 37 last week where uh, the the lock that I play shits the bed. And it was so frustrating because there was another play that I was so close to pulling the trigger on, but just for some reason decided to go with the under 2.5. And officially... I wanted to go with Armand Skrukin inside the distance as my lock of the night play. Instead, uh, officially, I went with the under 2.5 as my dog of the night play. That ends up hitting 1 unit at plus 145 to hit 1.45 units. Uh, I did hit a bunch of untracked on Skrukin inside the distance. I thought that line was absolutely crazy considering the skill difference between the two. And not to mention the dramatic cardio advantage I expected Skrukin to have. However, that didn't even come into play as he was able to get Yagos out of there pretty early uh, in, in that first round. So good luck by Sarukin. But the lock of the night play does shit the bed. Sarukin hits. That was a parlay. Uh, but the second leg of the parlay, Jackson and Bay's fight doesn't go to decision. That shits the bed. Jackson, four knockdowns, five knockdowns, I believe you got in that fight. So many opportunities to get the finish. And it was like, you know, getting 100 shots on net and not hitting one. Uh, that That's what it felt like that night. Um but, uh, you know, uh, it, it was so frustrating. The JP Bays with that Kamora grip, not letting Jackson get anywhere, uh, I really think nullified this uh, fight doesn't go to decision from happening. So uh, we do take an L on that last event, minus 2.55 units on there. And it's very frustrating as well, especially when I go 11-2-1 on predictions on the entire card, but the lock of the knife lands of losing. So that is a little bit of a bitch. But we're right back at it for UFC 266. Um Best bets and props article has already dropped on the Patreon. Um, uh, the, obviously, the early breakdowns are already up there. Um, 
uh, a couple other things. Obviously, we got a great Discord community on there, a positive community, always staying active. That's a great big part of the Patreon. Again, it's only five bucks a month. So if you guys want to support your boy, that's the best way to do so. Uh, secondly, do want to shout out CoolBet, CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and you will secure yourself at least up to 200 bucks on your initial deposit that they will match. Uh, so make sure you guys check that out. You can parlay props. You can do whatever you want on CoolBet. They have great odds as well. And I'm more often than not, am making my bets over there as well so make sure you guys go check out coolbet once again that's coolbet coolbet.com use promo code mmalotn2 that's the number two and they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks all right that's pretty much a wrap on the intro here got a ton of fights to get through for you guys here so let's not waste any more time i'll see you guys on the flip side for the outro Omar Morales versus Jonathan Pierce. We got minus 160 on Morales and plus 140 for JSP Jonathan Pierce. Let's start off on the Morales side of things, who's coming off a successful uh, rebound after his first ever loss in his pro MMA career. Uh, he took a loss to Giga Chikadze, then he steps in against uh, Shane Young and absolutely beats him from minute one to minute 15, taking home a decision victory that night uh, earlier this year, I believe it was. Um, uh Actually, it was actually late last year, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just quickly confirm that it was the uh, the Enganu and Stipe card, which probably was this year. I think it was April of this year, right? March of this year. So yeah, sorry, he did fight this year. And now six months later, he is going up against a guy in Jonathan Pierce. Now Pierce, I believe he needs to go out there and have grappling success to have any success in this fight. Uh, I think on the feet, he's going to be beat by the much more hard-nosed striking style of Omar Morales. And I think that we'll see Morales go out there and pretty much march him down for the majority of this fight. We saw JSP obviously rebound off of his UFC debut gaff, where he was a big favorite against Joe Lozon. But UFC jitters, uh, and not to mention stepping into the backyard of Joe Lozon in Boston and going up against that type of crowd, it probably got to him, and he got quickly finished there. Uh, quickly finished there uh, in that first round against Joe Lozon after he hurt him early. If I'm not mistaken, that actually broke uh, the orbital of uh, Jonathan Pierce as well. I do like what Morales brings to the table here. I think he's going to be the heavier striker, like I said. I think it's going to cause Jonathan Pierce some fits. I think Pierce will struggle to close the distance and land takedowns here, especially when he's dealing with the heavy onslaught that he's going to be getting here from Omar Morales. I like what, uh, again, Morales, hard-nosed striking style, likes to march his opponents down, use all eight of his limbs to truly, um, you know, uh, really cause his opponent's uh, disruption. And even though Jonathan Pierce went out there and got a victory over Kai Kamaka last time around we know Kamaka really starts to slow down in fights when he uh, faces adversity and uh, Jonathan Pierce was able to weather that early storm and then have tremendous success in that second round eventually finishing him late in that second round but I'd be surprised if he slows down Morales I'd be surprised if he breaks Morales and I think that Morales is actually going to be the one that ends up breaking Jonathan Pierce in this situation so uh, at a ripe age of 35 years old I think Morales still has a lot to show in this 145 pound division and I think a guy like Jonathan Pierce is a guy that he should be able to go out there and beat now i'll quickly you know call out the elephant in the room obviously jonathan pierce a fight ready guy a, a team that i've kind of had uh, a bit of a link with over the last couple of weeks with eddie Cha and and um and uh, Santino DeFranco coming on the show to, to help me break down some fights. Uh, but you got to take those biases out of it, man. You can't be betting with your heart or just because you're boys with some people that are connected with some of these fighters. You got to take that out of it. You got to look at this fight uh, or at these fights unbiased. And 
from a non-biased eye, I feel like Morales is the rightful favorite in this fight, and he should be able to go out there and implement that striking style that he has done so successfully in his 11 victories as a pro, and I think he'll be able to notch his 12th victory this weekend against Jonathan Pierce. So I'm going to be going with Omar Morales, and I'm going to take him to win this fight via decision. Matthew Semmelsberger versus Martin Sano. We got minus one, uh, minus 470 actually on Semmelsberger and plus 375 on Sano. Now, a lot of people are probably scratching their heads. Who the fuck is Martin Sano? Why is he, you know, getting in a shot in the UFC with the 4 2 1 record and his last fight being over three and a half years ago? Simply put, he's Nick Diaz's boy. I mean, if you guys remember Chris Avila getting a shot in the UFC with a you know a mediocre record, um, you know that was due to Nick Diaz fighting Conor McGregor at UFC 202. Artem Lobov, Conor McGregor, same thing there. And not to mention Mariano Marais, I think that's the guy's name, uh, who was able to get his UFC shot because uh, Anderson Silva was taking on Israel Adesanya. Uh, I believe UFC 243. I could be off on that or 234. One of those fights. Either way. Um, this is another one of those situations where Nick Diaz, because of the pull that he has, was able to get his boy on the card. And, uh, you know, the, the odds reflect, you know, what kind of skill that he brings to the table. The guy's a bit of a brawler, has a little bit of a BJJ background, obviously, but obviously has a ton of power in his hands. But more than likely, he's a KO or bust kind of guy. He should be able to go out there and have... Um, uh, you know, maybe some early success, but after if he's not able to get the early knockout here against Semmelsberger, I think he's truly going to be into in some trouble. I think Semmelsberger wins this fight pretty much any way that he wants, unless he gets knocked out here by uh, by Sano early in this fight. I think Semmelsberger is obviously the much better fighter, and Semmelsberger actually uh, he had his pro debut two months after Sano had his last MMA fight, and since then he's been able to put together an eight and three record and has shown solid skills uh, in his come up into the UFC uh, obviously with that great victory over Carlton Minus in his debut uh then he fell uh then he knocked out Jason Witt pretty quickly and then fell short to Chaos Williams but that Chaos Williams is very important here considering the amount of damage and power that Samusberger was able to withstand in that fight from Chaos and we know how much power Chaos holds in his hands if Samuelsberger can take that type of damage from Chaos. Uh, I think he should be fine here against a guy like Martin Sano. So there's a reason Samuelsberger is minus 470. Yes, he's parlayable. Yes, he should win this fight pretty much any which way he wants. Martin Sano is not good. I can't wait to continue fade him probably one more time after this fight. Um, he probably will get one more shot in the UFC after this fight, considering they usually give these guys at least two fights in the UFC. And if they lose both of them, more than likely they're out on their butts. So um, I like Samuelsberger here again pretty much any way he wants i do actually lean ever so slightly with him possibly getting the finish in this fight um sano is kind of durable but i do think that uh Samuelsberger has a ton of power to uh to to put him out here so i'm actually going to be going with Samuelsberger by ko which is sitting around minus 135 i think there's some decent value there especially considering the money line that you're getting on Samuelsberger here but sano is so hittable Samuelsberger has a ton of power in his hands and he has good enough jujitsu that he could possibly club and sub sano in this situation but i am going to be a little bit greedy and take that ko prop at minus 135 so i like Samuelsberger, and i'll take him by second round knockout 
Nick Maximov taking on short notice Cody Brundage, who's stepping in for Carl Roberson. In terms of in terms of odds, we're looking at minus one fifty five for Nick Maximov and plus one twenty five for Cody Brundage. Now, Nick Maximov actually opened up as a minus three fifty favorite on Bet Online and got quickly bet down, and now it seems like the market is roughly getting around that minus one fifty to minus one seventy range for Nick Maximov, which I think is accurate here. Both guys grapplers. Maximov obviously a little bit more. Uh, uh, well-rounded in the, the the bjj realm and cody brundage a little bit more well-rounded in the wrestling realm so i'm very excited to see how this fight actually plays out i wouldn't be surprised if we see a striking battle to begin with um but um very difficult fight to break down obviously brundage coming on on super short notice so you got to wonder how cardio ready is going to be to go up against a guy like nick maximov maximov obviously coming off a contenders race victory where he was able to earn his contract um again difficult fight for me to break down i think we'll see brunage try to implement his grapple heavy approach with his wrestling but i do think that he'll ultimately succumb to the bjj credentials that maximov is going to bring to the table here and i don't i wouldn't be surprised if brunage actually kind of gasses himself out trying to implement that grapple heavy approach and then we see maximov you know hit reversals or even hit a submission off of his back uh while brunage is starting to gas out um not too many props available on this fight yet just because of the the short notice nature of it uh we only have actually three props here uh the over under one and a half over under two and a half the under two and a half sitting around plus 138 and then the fight doesn't go to the decision sitting around uh minus 170 which is very weird to me well plus 110 on one spot that actually has the under two and a half at plus 140 um I wouldn't mind taking a little bit of a stab at the violence here because I do think that Maximov could wrap up the neck here of Brundage at some point. Uh, I like uh, what Maximov brings to the table. I wish we just see a little bit more of him against legitimate competition because he's just been going out there and absolutely squashing his competition on the regional scene. Uh, and I think that this is this will probably be his toughest test to date. Um, I do think we'll see him struggle early here, but after that, I think we'll see Brundage start to slow down, and then I think we'll see uh, Maximov start to go off and, and really start to get his grappling going and ultimately find a submission in that second or third round so i'll probably be looking at a round three prop for maximov as i think that will be his best path to victory is to wait until brendan starts to you know kind of tire a little bit and then he's able to get something going later um again full camp nick maximov versus short notice cody brendan's here you, you, you gotta you gotta go with maximov but i gotta you know hats off to the people that were able to get brundage at that very heavy price tag that he was at earlier you know you know uh, above plus 200 above plus 180 i think you're getting very good value on him but i think once uh, the line starts to settle out here around minus 150 you got to start to side with the nick maximov side of things so uh, my official prediction is actually going to be nick maximov by submission i'll be looking at what these props look like once they start to drop but for the sake of the podcast my prediction is going to be maximov via third round submission rush medic versus jalen turner we got minus one uh 25 on medic and plus 105 on Jalen turner and violence is all i can say about this fight Urosh Medic, obviously very highly touted coming off the contender series. I did fade him last time around with Alan Cruz and look like a complete dumbass doing so, but I'm going to fade him once again here with Jalen Turner, especially a plus money. Got to take the shot. Although I will say 
My favorite line on this fight is the fight doesn't go to decision. Now, Earl Schmedic has gone into the second round only one time in his career where he was able to finish his opponent, but his grappling looks very, very suspect when he is pushed later in fights, and I have a little bit of a question mark regarding his cardio. I do think that Jalen Turner will have the advantage if this fight hits the mat, and I think that's where Jalen is going to look to take this fight as Earl does definitely have a very good striking game, and it's only getting better ever since he's moved down to King's MMA in California. I like what Jalen brings to the table in terms of his... Uh, striking it so i think he'll be serviceable enough in terms of hanging with arosh and then once this fight gets to get a little bit deeper into the fight into the second round or so i think we'll see jalen successful again this fight to the ground and then locking up a submission i actually think that the submission prop is very very live here for jalen turner which currently sits at i think it's a pretty damn good line as well from memory jalen turner by submission plus 815 Gotta take a little bit of a shot on that, man. I think that he has the advantage if this fight hits the ground. Long, gangly arms. Very good for chokes, obviously. And obviously, I think that he's going to have the advantage the longer that this fight goes. And I think that Medich will start to slow down. Especially if he puts on as much of a pace as he usually does early in his fight. So, it'll be interesting to see if he goes out there and tries to... Uh, um, if he tries to 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 pay, pace himself, but I don't think that Jalen Turner will allow him to do so, and I think we'll see that uh, that Medich come out in him, and he'll be able to go out there and, and land some good strikes in that first round. He is absolutely live to go out there and put out Jalen Turner in that first round, but I do think that it's actually going to be Turner that survives that early onslaught and then puts it on him in that second round with his grappling, ultimately locking up a submission in this fight. But the fight doesn't go to decision being around roughly minus 160 is mind-boggling to me. Uh, and the, the widely available total is actually set at minus or, or at one and a half. Uh, and you can get the under one and a half at plus 145. But I want those extra seven and a half minutes in case this fight does go into the third round. And you're getting roughly between minus 160 and minus 200 depending on the, the bookie that you're looking at. I think there's tremendous value on there considering the amount of finishes on both guys' records and the ability to finish from both guys as well. So... I like Turner in this spot. Um, again, I think his striking is improving, but I do think that you got to give the slight advantage to Medich in that spot. And don't let that 10-5 and 5 record of Turner uh, turn you off of him, no pun intended. Uh, the guy is much better than his record indicates, and he's only getting better on a fight-to-fight -fight basis. So I think we'll see a better version of Jalen Turner here, and I think he'll survive that early onslaught and then get his grappling going in that second round, eventually finding that finish quickly thereafter. Um, I will say... Medich obviously working at King's MMA, meaning he's working with Benio Darius with his grappling, but it's going to take a long time for a guy like Medich to get his grappling up to the level of UFC competition and only being a fight or two into his UFC career. I think he's going to struggle there, especially when you got a guy like Jalen Turner who's going to be able to put it on him in those situations. So I like Jalen here. Um, you know, if it wasn't again i don't normally like take taking two sides on one fight um like in terms of taking a, a total and then a fighter as well but if i were to do so i'm very very much um intrigued by the plus money on turner but i most likely will be going with the fight doesn't go to decision it, it's just too nice of a number for me to pass up for two violent fighters here so i'm gonna go with uh turner by second round submission sprinkle that submission prop plus plus 800 and then ram and hammer that fight doesn't go to decision between minus 160 and minus 200 don't be surprised if you see it as a lock of the night play either. So uh, official prediction for this fight, second round submission for Jalen Turner. 
Roxanne Modafari versus Tyler Santos. We got minus 420 on Santos and plus 335 on Roxanne Modafari. Now, Roxanne obviously going out there and ripping up a lot of people's parlay tickets whenever uh, they go out there and try to, um, you know, fade her in a parlay. More often than not, she's always the big underdog going into her fights. Um, but... I think that this is one of those weekends where she's actually going to end up taking an L. Tyler Santos obviously stumbled out of the gate in her UFC debut when she was getting grapple fucked by Mara Romero Barella. But then in her next two fights, she goes out there and absolutely dominates her opponents, reminding people that, yeah, she is much better than that. And it was more than likely just UFC jitters and uh, a very off night for her that night when she took on Barella in her UFC debut. Now, she's truly going to get tested in her grappling here against Roxanne Marofari. As we know, that's definitely the best way that Modafari is able to win her fights is when she's able to drag her opponents to the ground, control them from the top position, or you know just look to do some damage or find a submission from that top position. But I think she's going to struggle to do that here against Tyler Santos. I actually think it's going to look similar to the Viviani Arujo fight. You know, Arujo and Santos, similar fighters, good strikers, decent ground game as well. But they're very good in terms of you know being able to move, get out of the way of the opponent's uh, uh, offense, whether it's takedowns or strikes, and then get their own game off, going off of that we know that rudimentary robotic striking style of Roxanne Modafferi is never going to change and I think we'll see Tyler Santos absolutely pick her apart from distance whenever this fight is vertical I do think that we'll see Tyler Santos's takedown defense tested in this fight but I think that she'll be able to pass it whether it's you know even if she does get taken down I do think that we'll see her get back up in a timely fashion to truly get her striking going after that and give uh you know Roxanne Modafferi a lot to think about whenever she wants to close distance again I love Tyler Santos in this spot you know a lot of people kind of scoff at taking taking women's mma at chalk prices but i think that this is a decent spot where we should be able to go out there and get a dub as i do think that tyler santos is just so much better than what roxanne brings to the table here um again shout out to roxanne a pioneer of women's mma but i just think at a certain point she's going to continue to falter under the much better competition that she's going to be going up against and even though she was able to get a win over andrea lee late last year i think kind of that's where the buck stops i think that she's going to run to a lot of trouble here against a girl like tyler santos so um i will give it to roxanne though she's very durable she can take a punch she could take a beating which is why i ultimately think that tyler santos via decision is probably going to be the best way to go it is listed roughly around minus 130 so i think that's a pretty good shot if you want to take a single shot on this fight uh but i do think that tyler santos has this fight wrapped up with the bow she's a much better striker uh her takedown defense is improving her get up ability is improving she's a better fighter all around uh and you know she's on a on an incline or sorry she's on a she's on an ascent compared to the descent that uh, Roxanne Modafferi's career is currently on so I am gonna go with Tyler Santos and I'll pick her to win this fight via decision hit that minus 130 I like it but I do think she wins this fight via decision Chris Dawkins versus Shamil Abdurahimov. We got minus 200 on the rising prospect Chris Dawkins and plus 170 on the Shamil Abdurahimov. The, the returning Shamil Abdurahimov, I should say, as the last time we saw him inside the cage was September of 2019 where Curtis Blades pounded his brains through the canvas in uh, in Abu Dhabi, I believe it was. The same card as Khabib Nurmagomedov and Dustin Poirier. Since then, we've seen him scheduled for five fights and it's all fallen through I believe due to injuries for, um, nope, 
uh, a couple uh, of his opponents pulled out. He pulled out due to injuries. Uh, Sakai was rebooked. Belt with uh, Dalk is rescheduled a couple times, especially with uh, Abdul Rahimov testing positive uh, the last time they were scheduled back in July. But here they are this week, and hopefully, not going on, they're able to get back into the cage and get Shamil active once again. I will also say, Shamil Abdul Rahimov. Hit that 40-year-old mark. And I know a lot of people kind of use that narrative in terms of when capping fights. So it's definitely a negative that Shamil Abdurahimov is uh, 40 years old. Albeit, you know, a 40-year-old at heavyweight is usually not the worst thing in the world. But when you're dealing with a banshee like Chris Dawkins, I think it's going to be very difficult for Shamil Abdurahimov to deal with that. Now, Shamil will obviously have the grappling advantage in this fight. And he's going to want to look to get this fight to the ground to get away from that striking style of Chris Dawkins, which seems to get better on a fight-to-fight basis. Not only is the striking getting better on a fight-to-fight basis, but his physique continues to improve where we see him look better and better lighter and lighter every single fight and I think that definitely helps in terms of his speed advantage over his opponents his moving or or sorry his his movement in terms of being able to stay away from the big shots and the the takedown attempts of his opponents and then landing those pinpoint pinpoint accurate shots on his opponents eventually putting them down and putting them out I'm liking the slow rise of Chris Dawkins as well right that's another thing that a lot of people are looking at saying you know why is he fighting a guy like Shamil I I like it you know go from old to Abdurahimov and then let's take another smaller step on top of that after um, after Abdurahimov but what's the reason of rushing this guy right like he clearly is showing that he is still a prospect he's still trying to work on his game and I feel like uh, this fight over getting a fight or a win over a guy like Shamil hopefully having to deal with adversity will only make him a better fighter in the future. I'm kind of hoping that we actually see Shamil have some grappling success here and we see Dawkins actually survive that, get back to his feet and then get his striking going after that. But I truly think that no matter how many times Shamil tries to close the distance, uh, Dawkins is just going to be throwing crisp straight shots down the middle, keeping Shamil Abdurahimov shy and timid in terms of closing the distance. And then I think eventually we'll see Dawkins find that knockout blow. I do like Dawkins in this position quite a lot. Uh, It's just the unknowns and the uncertainties of his ground game which gives me a little bit of pause in terms of you know unloading the cannon on him in this situation but he should be able to go out there and give Shamil a ton of trouble again if if the the striking wasn't as good of Dawkins in this fight I'd probably look to back Shamil as an underdog in this spot as you guys know that I love backing uh you know guys that have a, a, a decent enough grappling advantage over their opponents but considering how good Dawkins has been looking over his last several fights it's going to be very difficult to fade him in this spot so I am going to be take that be taking Dawkins and I do think that we see him actually go out there and get the knockout too so uh official prediction for this fight will be Dawkins and I'm going to take him to win by first round knockout Nazrat Hakparas versus Daniel Hooker we got minus 145 for Hooker and plus 125 for Nazrat Hakparas now this fight has been an absolute shit show all week considering that both guys have had issues in terms of getting their visa set but as of this recording, both of them have their visas set, uh, but they are not too far off from when they actually have to weigh in. So I'm very interested to see what they have to do on, on their flights. Obviously, Nazra coming from Germany and uh, Dan Hooker coming over from New Zealand, but it's very interesting to see what these guys are going to look like on the scales. Now, I believe Daniel Hooker will have no issues making weight. That guy is a consummate professional, and from if my memory serve me, serves me right, he's never really actually had any issues in terms of cutting weight. 
Nazar Hakbras on the other side, we obviously saw the yeah, that gaff way back in January, uh, and, and that is obviously a bit of a concern. So if you're looking at back Nazareth, I would rather wait for the weigh-ins, see what he looks like there, see if he actually makes the weight, and then make a decision based off of that. But uh, you know, if we take all of that out of it and we just look at this fight, you know, considering that or, or thinking that both these guys are going to come in in top or top shape. Sorry, last thing I got to say about Nazareth before I move on with it, he did also lose his mother about a week, two weeks ago, so that's probably playing into his fight emotionally as well. But he's still going to be fighting, and that's a good thing to make out of this as well. But getting back to this fight stylistically, Dan Hooker obviously is going to be a much more skilled fighter, a much more talented striker in this fight, right? He should be able to stay on the outside, let his strikes go and truly cause uh, issues for Nazareth in terms of the variety of strikes that's going to be coming his way. But Nazareth is pretty good in terms of closing distance, blitzing, being explosive, and using his speed to his advantage to land that power on the chin of his opponents and putting them out. In my opinion, Daniel Hooker is kind of damaged goods, right? He's taken so much damage over his last several fights. Obviously, last time he got knocked out by Michael Chandler, the Dustin Poirier fight took tremendous damage in that, but still was able to see the bell. After that, the Paul Felder fight took massive damage in that. The Ally Quinta fight is really the last fight where he was, you know, in control pretty much the entire time. Never really took a, a considerable amount of damage, but the last three fights alone for Daniel Hooker have been absolutely crazy in terms of the amount of damage he's been absorbing and uh, whether it's going to have an uh, effect on him moving forward in his career now he's going up against a heavy puncher Nazra Hakbras who will definitely be able to find that chin it gives me pause you know it, again this is going to look like one of those fights where Daniel Hooker probably is going to be in the driver's seat but one of those big bonds from Nazra Hakbras will eventually land and could potentially put Daniel Hooker down and put him out um, the, so I do lean Nazra Hackpress as the side here, especially around plus 125. Uh, but even if you want to get a little bit greedy, you're taking Nazra by KO, as I believe that Hooker will more than likely be the better minute winner. But Nazra should do, um, sh uh, and I think that the win condition for Hackpress is probably KO around plus 250, plus three, or sorry, it's a uh, plus 310, plus 320 on certain spots. That's probably the best way to hit Hackpress here. With that said, though, I think the best bet for this fight is actually the under two and a half. I think we're going to see a tremendous amount of violence in this fight. Plus 110 is what the under is currently sitting at. And I think that both guys are going to go to war here. I'd be surprised if, you know, if we don't even get one knockdown in this fight. But I do think that one of these guys is going to land. We've seen Hackpress finish in the past, obviously, by Drew Dober. And I think that Daniel Hooker could definitely put uh, uh, some finishing touches here on Nazareth as well. But I do ultimately think it's going to be Nazareth that finds that chin of Daniel Hooker and puts him down again the only thing causing me concern is all of the out of cage issues with both guys here and how it could affect these guys here but if anything it could help the violence bet here as both these guys are going to go out there and try to swing leather and try to get that finish because who knows what they're going to be looking like physically speaking and how their cardio could possibly be affected by all this craziness that's going outside of the octagon uh, so I am going with the under two and a half. I like the plus 110 there. But in terms of an actual pick here, I'm going to go with Nazareth. I'm going to pick him by first round knockout. Marab Devalishvili versus Marlon Moraes. We got minus 250 on Marab and plus 200-ish on Marlon Moraes. And how far Marlon has fallen since coming into the UFC. And, you know, especially since his title fight against Henry Cejudo. He did manage to get that split decision over Aldo, albeit a lot of people expected Aldo to actually get his hand raised that night. Um, I personally think that Moraes did a good enough job in that third round to get that uh, victory. So 
that's my stance on it but since then he's been finished by Corey Sandhagen and then obviously by Rob Font uh back in December of last year I will say though I do think that he stepped into the cage way too quickly after the Corey Sandhagen knockout and I think that showed in that Rob Font fight now he took off about nine months uh and I think that's a good amount of time for him to actually get his wits back about him but I think that this is a very tough stylistic matchup for him to overcome I will say he is very live in that first round and I think I saw that around plus 800 for him to win inside round one and I think that's a very good shot here especially against a guy in Marab Devalishvili who in my opinion gets hit a little bit too much and relies on that durability to be able to push through and implement the game that he normally implements but Marlon Moraes you know former WSOF champion former UFC title challenger very highly touted guy coming into the UFC has never really panned out to be the guy that a lot of people expected him to be and now I think that he's going to go on a three-fight skit and we might not even see him inside the UFC pass this weekend to be honest I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC lets him go go to Bellator or go to PFL whatever it may be especially if he can't get past a guy like Marab and that's not shitting on Marab at all you know what i mean that's just more so saying that marais doesn't have what it takes to cut it in the ufc anymore i'm sure they're paying him a pretty penny as well considering the name value that he brought when he came into the ufc especially as the wsof champion but why should we pay this guy if he's not able to beat you know a guy like marab who's a little bit down uh further in the ranks um so yeah I, I truly think that Marais's best path to victory in this fight is getting a first round knockout because after that I think that pace and pressure on Marab is truly going to get um get to uh Marais and I think that will cause him to slow down in the second or third rounds allowing Marab to take over after that my concern is whether Marab will get the finish here or not you know if you have the opportunity to take a shot on Marab uh on those double chance props right um the the KO or decision for uh Marab I think that's the best way to go and the best way to get value on Marab in this fight um but even parlaying him with something I think you could be pretty safe and then just hedging off with Marais round one uh I believe again around plus 800 plus 700 or even KO which I think is around plus 600 if I'm not mistaken so you're getting good value on these hedge opportunities from Marais if that's what you're liking but I'm fully on the Marab side here I think he's going to go out there and absolutely do work against Marais uh, obviously he's on a very long winning streak at this point in time uh, uh, and then obviously most recently coming off that victory over Cody Stamen last time around where he was able to implement his game against a very high level wrestler in Cody Stamen and a very solid striker in Cody Stamen uh, just lets you know how, what kind of talent we're dealing with, with with a guy like Marab and him finally getting a fight against a high level name like Marlon Marais is just you know it's about fucking time let's put it that way it's about time we get Marab into that top seven top five of this 135 pound division because his style is very difficult for a lot of people to keep up with not to mention his work ethic is just otherworldly as well um again not not much more I can really do in terms of breaking this fight down for you guys it's Marais round one or Marab takes over either finishes him late or goes on to a decision so in terms of actual prediction I'm going to go with Marab via decision but if you do have access to that double chance prop like I said earlier KO slash decision for Marab I would take a shot on that to get the best value you're going to get here so I'm going to go Marab Devalishvili via decision Jessica Andrade against Cynthia Calvillo. We got minus 240 on Jessica Andrade and plus 200 on Cynthia Calvillo. Now, Jessica Andrade obviously coming off that title fight loss where Valtteri Shevchenko was able to get her into that crucifix position and quickly finish her thereafter. And Cynthia Calvillo coming off a decision loss to Caitlin Chikagin late last year where she was a minus 225 favorite. 
a line that I just did not understand and took the shot on Catlin that night and luckily was able to cash that bet. Uh, Cynthia Cavio, when she is successful, she's able to get takedowns and she's able to control her opponents from the top position and uh, she has a lot of success when she is in that top position. We saw the Casey, uh, Courtney Casey fight where she did have success in terms of winning that fight in the striking round, but if she thinks she's going to have similar success against Jessica Andrade, I think she's going to be sorely mistaken. I think that Andrade will do Andrade shit in this fight. She's going to move forward. She's going to land big bombs. She should be able to stuff takedowns. And I, I don't think even if Calvillo gets her on uh, output, I don't think that she'd be able to, to out, outpoint the amount of damage that Jessica Andrade is going to be able to land on her. Now, Andrade will be at a two or three height, a two or three inch height disadvantage in this fight. Um, and usually that, uh, you know, benefits uh, anybody that's going to be looking to use their takedown defense to their advantage. And I do think that's going to happen here we'll, we'll, where we'll see Calvio try to land takedowns here against Andrade. Although I don't think that the takedowns and the wrestling of Calvio is truly up to the pay, to the point to get a girl like Andrade down time and time again. Now if you want to mix up with her in the clinch, we obviously saw what she was able to do to Catelyn Chikagian. Land some big shots there and hurt her, obviously put her down with the body shot and finish her near the ending of that first round. Um, Whereas Calvillo, you know, if she wants to do that and she's trying to get takedowns off those clinch positions, I think it's going to be a lot more difficult for her to do than uh, than people are expecting. I do like Calvillo. You know, she's she is a good fighter. I did cash her when she fought uh, Jessica High. Um, you know, I've cashed her in the past as well. I'm trying to recall which which fights, but she she's a solid fighter. I like what she brings to the table. Um, but I just think that Andrade is a little bit too much for her at this point, right? Andrade will always be successful in terms of landing big shots. Uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying that she could potentially take Calvillo out. Uh, I will give Calvillo the benefit of the doubt. She's a very durable opponent. But if they do mix up in the clinch, I do have concerns in terms of her being able to survive the power that's going to be coming her way. I do like Andrade here, though. I think she marches down uh, Calvillo for the majority of the 15 minutes, landing the bigger, better shots, and just optically doing what the judges need to see to win a fight. I like Jessica Andrade here. She's going to beat girls like Calvillo, uh, but she'll never be at the top of this division, especially when Valentina Shevchenko is going to be holding the thro uh, throne. So it's up to Andrade to go out there and weed out the, the weak links in terms of who doesn't deserve a shot at uh, at Shevchenko here and I think that this is a prime opportunity for her to go out there and get that done so uh, I'll be surprised if Calvillo has much grappling success um, especially if she's even able to hold her down if she does land a takedown in this spot but I do think that this fight will more jordly for the major part sorry take place in the striking room and that's where you have to give the advantage to Andrade just on power and ability to march down her opponents again Calvillo might put up a fight in terms of the output that she puts on the activity but I don't think that it's going to be enough to overcome the amount of damage that she's going to be taking in this fight against Jessica Andrade so I'm going to go with Andrade via decision in this spot Although if it, they do mix up more so in the clinch than, than I think they are, uh, I do think that Calvillo is going to be at risk at getting finished. But my ultimate prediction is going to be uh, just Andrade via decision. Curtis Blades versus Jarzinho Rosenstrike. We got minus 310 on Curtis Blades and plus 255 is the return on Rosenstrike. Probably one of the more binary fights that we can break down on this entire card. Curtis Blades 
will more than likely need that takedown to find success in this fight. Jerzinho Rosenstrike will more than likely need that takedown defense to hold up for him to have success, although he could possibly catch Curtis Blades on the way in as Derek Lewis caught Curtis Blades on the way in last time around and knocked his ass out. Now, I don't know if I've, like my man Z would say, PTBD, post-traumatic bet disorder on Curtis Blades because whenever I back him, it seems like he goes out there and gets knocked out. I backed him against Francis the second time. I backed him against Derek Lewis pretty heavily last time. Uh, albeit inside the distance just to get a better line um but this seems like another prime spot he should be able to go out there and take down a guy like jersey neuros and strike and do heavy work from on top and potentially find a finish in this spot um blades uh, obviously has a very good wrestling pedigree that's where he gets his best work done is when he's able to drag fights to the ground Rosenstrike obviously a very good kickboxer has some tremendous power in his hands and can definitely shut the lights off on his opponents uh i have this like imaginary heavyweight knockout artist gauntlet that i have in my head where like fighters need to you know if they're able to go past a certain guy maybe they're ready for the next guy you know unfortunately for curtis blades he's doing the gauntlet in reverse right he i have francis and at the top couldn't pass that test Derek lewis under him couldn't pass that test under him i have jerzinho rosenstrike and i feel like curtis blades should be able to go out there and be the guy like jerzinho uh, below Jerzinho is Walt Harris, but we haven't seen Blades go up against Harris. I do think that he would go out there and absolutely shellack him in this spot. Now, we saw Blades in his last fight against Derek Lewis have a pretty good first round, strictly just striking, right? He went out there and just uh, knew he couldn't rush the takedown, knew Derek Lewis was waiting for that shot just so he can uncork an uppercut. It didn't come in that first round, and we saw, you know, uh, Blades, you know, it seemed like he was just not trying to rush that takedown. In the second round, though, it seemed like he pressured himself to eventually get a takedown, and that ultimately was his demise. I feel like he, as because I feel like he, pressured himself his own self to go out there and land a takedown so that he can find success whereas if he probably just stayed on the feet continued to do what he did and maybe even just wait for a Derek Lewis uh blitz attack you know maybe those countering one of those attacks with a takedown probably would have been his best bet in terms of getting that fight to the ground but the fight did get to the ground, but unfortunately it was him staring up at the at the lights instead of uh, actually landing a takedown of his own. Here, though, I, I feel as though he'll have a little more success in terms of dragging this fight to the ground. You know, Jerzino, uh, I, I don't think he has that Derek Lewis type of knockout power, which is just otherworldly, but he does have some good power when he's able to kind of push the push forward and land the strikes on his own uh, i think curtis blades definitely learned a lot from that blade uh the the lewis fight especially in terms of when you are shooting your takedown don't go into the power hand of your opponent go into the the the, the secondary hand um so maybe we'll see that with uh with his fight with jerzino this weekend but i do think that once this fight hits the ground it's a massive mismatch you know you can say all you want about rosenstrike making improvements but i don't think that he's ready for a guy that has a grappling pedigree and top control of uh of 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 curtis blades here now i did i used to tease the uh, curtis blades via submission prop a lot in a lot of his past fights but more often than not, it seems like he goes out there and just looks for the ground and pound over uh over a submission I will say though, I feel like a submission will be a little bit easier to get here on Jerzino Rosenstrike and at roughly a plus 1000, I feel like it's worth a little bit of a sprinkle, especially considering that Blades is at minus 310. Uh, I do think that Blades will get the finish in this fight, taking him inside the distance around plus 120 is not too bad of a line, uh, but I do think that this is a great fight for him to go out there and get back on track. I'm not sold on Rosenstrike, nor do I think that he is going to be able to, you know, um, 
properly telegraph that uh, that takedown and try to counter it effectively. Uh, effectively. So I do like Blades here. I'm going to take him to win this fight via second round TKO, maybe submission, but it's going to come on the ground. You bet your ass he's going to get Jerzinho to the ground, and I think he's going to finish him quickly thereafter. So I'm going Blades second round TKO. Here we go. Probably the most talked about fight all week. We got a 185-pound fight, five rounds between Nick Diaz, the return of Nick Diaz against Robbie Lawler. Talk about dream matchmaking, especially to have a guy like Nick Diaz step back into the cage. You probably couldn't have done it much better than a guy like Robbie Lawler. Now, this is a fight that's a rematch from a fight that took place about 17 years ago, which is crazy to say, which means I would have been 13 years old when that fight took place, uh, where Nick Diaz was able to dispose of Robbie Lawler via KO uh, in their first meeting there. And now they're running it back here in much different circumstances obviously they've both gone through tremendous improvements and tremendous success within their MMA careers with Nick Diaz securing a strike force title while he was away and Robbie Lawler securing a UFC title when a lot of people were already writing him off saying that he didn't have championship aspirations but he proved everybody wrong managing to nab that title from Johnny Hendricks and was able to hold it for a couple fights before ultimately losing at UFC, at UFC 201 against Tyron Woodley now i'm very excited for this fight but the whole thing this week has been nick diaz doesn't look that great right there was that clip going around of him shadow boxing and you know people say he doesn't look in shape and obviously you can tell he wanted the fight at 185 pounds because there's no way at that uh, frame that he was going to make 170 pounds luckily robbie lawler just is a gamer didn't really give a fuck and was down to do it at 185 regardless good enough for him in terms of not having to go out there and cut the extra weight so he can just go out there and uh you know make that 185 pound limit it. Uh, very difficult to break this fight down, right? It, it's very, very difficult because Nick Diaz has obviously been out of the cage for six years. Robbie Lawler hasn't really been looking like himself over his last several fights as he's gone 0-4 in his last four fights, but he has been going up against guys that are just stylistic nightmares for him, right? Neil Magny put him through the meat grinder, and that was a weird fight for Robbie Lawler in terms of the fact that he actually stepped in on short notice. Not something you see often from the legend Robbie Lawler, but he did, and he paid for it. He was a plus one. 95 dog going into that fight and exactly what a lot of people expected to happen happened like i said neil magni put him through the meat grinder grapple fucking him wrestling him whatever it was just trying to stay away from that big power of neil magni or of robbie lawler and he was able to do so same with the fight before that with kobe compton where he put on a tremendous pace against a robbie landing takedowns landing shots from the outside not really letting robbie lawler get his game going and he was able to be successful with that ben Askren, that was a fight that he probably was close to winning if uh the, the referee actually ended up stopping it and then the ref Dosanio's fight we saw Dosanio's put on a complete performance in MMA something that Robbie Lalo just was not able to keep up with with Nick Diaz on the other hand obviously the last time we saw him was six years ago like I said against Anderson Silva where you know we saw Silva was just obviously the better fighter right uh Silva was a minus 355 favorite going into that fight and you could definitely see it once that fight really started to get going it started off with a little bit of that Nick Diaz shenanigans right going up against the cage and laying down all that shit but once the fight actually started getting going and Anderson Silva fell into his groove, there was no looking back for Anderson and he was able to cruise through that fight, albeit he did test positive for uh, for some sort of steroids after the fact. But say what you want, 
everybody's on steroids, right? Uh, but then the two fights before that, very tough fight against George St. Pierre, where St. Pierre, obviously a minus 500 is favored in that fight, was definitely going to go out there and grapple fuck Nick Diaz en route to a decision. And then the Carlos Condit, Carlos Condit fight, very close fight from both sides, both, both guys throwing tremendous output, uh, tremendous pace, uh, and ultimately the judges ended up signing with Carlos Condit that night. Last time we saw Nick Diaz actually win a fight was 10 years ago. Uh, I believe that was October of 2011. I could be off. It might have been February as well. I don't know why my uh, months are getting mixed up right now. But it was back in 2011 uh, where he was able to piece up BJ Penn over 15 minutes. And that fight possibly could have been stopped in the second round as well when Nick Diaz really started to open up. Now, 10 years or six, six years later, uh, if you guys have been following Nick Diaz on, on Instagram, you can see he's just been pretty much partying this entire time. But he has been, you know, getting his uh, marathons in and he's been getting some rolling in. So he's definitely been training. It's not like he's just been getting fucked up for the last six years. That's why it's so difficult to really cap this fight, right? Robbie Lawler, 39 years old now. Uh, obviously not the best we've been, uh, not the best version of Robbie Lawler we've been seeing of him over the last couple fights. And Nick Diaz, if his durability can hold up, probably has the advantage in a five-round fight. You know, Robbie Lawler, he can throw all he wants at Nick, but if that chin, that legendary chin of Nick holds up, uh, he should be able to walk through those shots and then start doing that Nick Diaz thing in the second, third, fourth, and fifth round of this fight, uh, putting that pace and that pressure on Robbie Lawler. Now at plus 120, you know, the, the fight was pretty much a pick and throw fight. We can tell that clip came out and now, now a lot of money is coming in on Robbie Lala pushing Nick Diaz down to a plus 120 dog. I have no real... Uh, um, interest or intrigue to bet either side here. I don't know how you can say you have value on either side in this fight. You know, I mean, it's just very difficult in terms of what we're going to be seeing from Nick Diaz. The thing that I do like, though, is the over two and a half. A little bit chalky now around that minus 200, but I do think that the durability will hold up from either guy. Nick Diaz, obviously not a crazy one-punch knockout artist, you know, even though he did one-punch knockout Robbie Lawler 17 years ago. But when we do see Nick Diaz finish opponents... It's through an accumulation of strikes. And I think that we're going to have to see Robbie Lawler truly have to slow down here before Nick Diaz puts his combinations together and gets Robbie Lawler out of there. So I, I will be leaning with the Nick Diaz side, like 51% Nick Diaz, 49% uh, uh, Robbie Lawler. Um, but I think that this fight's going to go over. I think we see it going to the fourth and probably the third, fourth and fifth rounds here with Nick Diaz potentially getting a late finish. Um, again, we have 12 other fights that we could be betting on. There's no reason to go out there and risk your hard-earned hard -earned money on a fight where there's so many question marks about both guys in this spot. Uh, sit back, enjoy this fight as a fan. Be thankful the UFC gave us five rounds of this fight so that we can enjoy it. Uh, you know, d don't be uh, on the edge of your seat uh, hoping that you're, you know, going to be uh, losing money or making money on a fight like this. I'm going on the Nick Diaz side. I think he goes out there, weathers that early storm from Robbie Lawler, and then starts to put it on him later in this fight. But just, again, super hard to be uh, super confident in it. The only thing that I feel somewhat confident in is the overs, though. Anything over, I'd say over two and a half, I feel okay with that. Again, if it's a little bit chalky for you, go ahead and throw in parlay if you want. But uh, yeah, I do see this fight going uh, closer to rounds four and round five with Nick Diaz getting a late finish. So I'm going to go Nick Diaz, probably round four TKO. Co-main event time here. We got the women's flyweight strap on the line where we have Valentina Shevchenko going up against Lauren Murphy. And 
can't really you know say that I, I need to say too much about this fight i'm pretty sure a lot of people uh know how this fight is going to go especially when you have valentina around that minus 1300 price tag and plus 800 ish on lauren murphy now valentina shevchenko has pretty much cleared out the division right the top of it now just quickly looking at the uh the rankings here for the flyweights uh she's beaten jessica andrage number one she's beaten Kathleen chigigian number two she's beaten jennifer maya number four uh beaten number eight and jessica i so there are four out of the top 15 that she's already beaten albeit um you know the the other f fighters that i didn't mention uh probably won't stand much of a chance here so next up is obviously number three lauren murphy uh who did beat number six joanne caldwood last time around in a controversial decision i must say uh but she did earn herself a title shot here as she is on a five fight winning streak having wins over mara romero barella andrea lee roxanne Modafari, lilia shakarova all that i believe if i'm not mistaken that was on short notice back at ufc 254 and and then she beat Joanne Caldwell earlier this year to secure that title shot for herself. Um, you know, I'll say this about Murphy. She's she's definitely gotten better with her striking since moving down to Houston, uh, or at least that Houston area, and start working with uh, crew uh, Eric Perez, Bob Perez. I can't remember the guy's name, uh, but he's uh, Derek Lewis's striking coach as well. Uh, working with him, uh, and we've definitely seen an improvement in her striking game since that fight, which is uh, why I believe that she's been going on this streak that she's currently on. She is a strong woman, obviously at 125 pounds, and she could potentially land a takedown here on Valentina Shevchenko, similar to what Jennifer Maya was able to do, but. As we saw in the Joanne Calderwood fight, we saw Lauren Murphy have grappling success in that second round, but was not able to secure a takedown in that third round, ultimately getting pieced up. And I expect to see the same thing here against Shevchenko. Now, if you guys remember that Jennifer Maya fight with Shevchenko, Maya took, I think it was round two after she landed the takedown and pretty much won that round. And we saw the live line on Shevchenko go from minus 2,000 all the way down to minus 300. And if that happens here again, you best believe that I'm going to be unloading the clip at minus 300 because that would be the most value you're ever going to get on Shevchenko if she's not fighting, uh, you know, Amanda Nunes. Um, but the, the the case here, whenever you have these giant favorites, just like Armand Sarukian last week, is, you know, not who's going to win. We obviously know who's going to win, but how they're going to win and when they're going to win. That's where we're, Charlie, trying to find our... Um, uh, our, our value in these fights and i'm kind of surprised that they actually set the over under at two and a half here and it's currently around even money and i think that this fight is actually going to go over that two and a half mark as i do believe that Mur murphy is quite durable here if shevchenko does get her into that crucifix position early in this fight like she did with jessica Andrade and like she did against Kathleen shikagan i think we'll see some success from murphy in terms in terms of getting out of that and staying out of too much danger early in this fight but the longer that it drags on i think we'll see Shevchenko have more and more success uh, especially with takedowns and then eventually setting up that crucifix position or any type of position on the ground to truly put a hurting on Lauren Murphy so uh, I'm a little bit of a standstill in terms of I believe this fight's going to go over two and a half but I do think that Shevchenko will finish this fight the later that it goes so that could possibly conflict especially if she ends up getting that finish in that third round I would probably poke the uh, the the over two and a half. Uh, maybe take a couple shots at that round four and round five prop as well for uh, Shevchenko here. I just don't have the most amount of confidence in terms of uh, you know playing aside there with the totals. Like I said, I'd like the over uh, as I do think that Murphy will be tough enough to take the damage that Shevchenko throws out there for her. But you know 
Who knows? Maybe she uncorks one of those crazy head kicks like she uh, flattened Jessica Iwata several fights ago. Um, and Murphy might go down like a, like a ton of bricks as well. Could happen, but I do ultimately end up on the Shevchenko side. Um, it's going to be tough to beat her, man. She's 33 years old in her fighting prime. I think she has another two to three years solid of being at this level uh, before another woman comes up and gets close to even contending against her. Uh, but yeah, Lauren Murphy is not going to be that one at 38 years old to go out there and be the stud like Valentina Shevchenko. So I'm going to go with Shevchenko and I'm going to call it fourth round TKO. Time for the main event. We got Alexander Volkanovsky defending his featherweight strap against Brian Ortega. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 170 for Alexander Volkanovsky. And plus 150 is a return on Brian Ortega. Now with Alexander Volkanovsky, you got him coming off of two wins over the consensus featherweight goat in Max Holloway, albeit the second fight a little bit controversial in terms of the decision, but he still managed to keep it close enough that the judges believe that he won the fight, and that's good enough for me, especially when you're going up against a guy as talented as Max Holloway. But this 19-fight winning streak that Alexander Volkanovsky is currently on is unprecedented, and the level of competition that he's been going up against, especially over his last five fights, has been very phenomenal, and obviously uh, there is a lot of stock that you can put in it considering uh, the way that he's beating these guys and uh, the game plans and how he's executing it. The one thing that I've been pretty much saying all week about Alexander Volkanovsky is that he's a master at executing game plans, and I feel like he has the perfect game plan to go out there and beat a guy like Brian Ortega. More often than not, you see misdirections, light kicks, body uh, body work, uh, great movement, never really staying still. You know what I mean? There's, it's very difficult for a lot of opponents to hit a guy like Volkanovsky, especially when he's switching stances and moving as much as he is. The guy's a little ball of energy as well. He does a really good job in terms of fainting takedowns or obviously just, you know, fainting anything just to get you to react so that he can hit you with what he actually wants to hit you with, whether it's a leg kick, whether it's a body punch, whatever it may be. He's just such a master at that. You got to give some credit to Eugene Behrman and those guys over there at City Kickboxing. I know City Kickboxing is not the only gym that Volkanovski works at. There's another gym that he does. It's just slipping my mind at this moment, but they do a really good job in terms of going out there and putting together a bulletproof game plan that Volkanovski can put together and uh, stifle his opponents I think we're going to see the same thing this weekend against Brian Ortega now Ortega took an extended layoff and then did come back against uh, the Korean zombie uh, late last year and uh, you know had a really good performance we saw much better uh, Brian Ortega much more confident Brian Ortega especially with the striking he was able to put together good combinations work behind a jab and really use his length as his as his advantage and then he landed a beautiful spinning back elbow in the uh, in the second round there that really shook and wobbled up a Korean zombie it seemed like zombie had a little bit of issues trying to recover after that even going into that third round you can see him like stretching out his jaw a couple times and you don't often see that happen with the fighter um I, I truly think that that's not the Korean zombie that we we've come to know and uh, can expect and uh, I think that might be skewing a lot of people's idea of what Brian Ortega truly brings to the table now he's going up against Volkanovski and unless he you know hurts him and and has him on wobbly legs for five rounds I think we will see a much different fight this time around obviously the best part of Brian Ortega's game is his jiu-jitsu because he's so crafty and and difficult to deal with when you get into those ranges but I do think that a guy like Volkanovski will have good enough submission defense to stay out of trouble and he has good enough wherewithal in terms of staying out of those positions 
and uh, you know protecting himself from getting submitted against a guy like Brian Ortega. I think we'll see another masterful, masterful performance from uh, Volkanovski here, mixing it up with light kicks, albeit. We do have the southpaw uh, threat here from Brian Ortega, so I'm interested to see how uh, Volkanovski chooses to deal with that in terms of implementing his leg kicks, but I'm sure this guy's championship level, championship caliber, you know, he has 23 fights of experience under his belt, and not to mention a very solid coaching staff behind him that should be able to put together a very solid game plan to go deal with a guy like Brian Ortega. I'd be surprised if we see Volkanovski go out there and try to shoot takedowns to kind of mix it up, but I do think that we'll see him at least kind of faint it and, and try to keep uh, Brian Ortega thinking. I think that the, the the perception of Ortega is kind of skewed here because of his performance against Korean Zombie last time around, and you can't sell me on just one performance uh, from Brian Ortega to make me believe that he's a fully changed man at this time around. Now, if he goes out there and beats a guy like Volkanovski and decisively beats him, not, you know, Brian Ortega him like he used to if you guys remember earlier in Ortega's UFC career he used to get his ass whooped for like 10 minutes before he ended up coming back and then uh, finishing his opponents late more so as a comeback uh scenario than anything um you know if he does that here against Volkanovski all credit to him but I don't think we'll see as masterful or as as solid of a performance as we saw from him last time around this time around so I do like Volkanovski here I think we see him and still here uh, I think he's one of the best featherweights out there I truly think his only real uh, uh, test is uh, Max Holloway and I wouldn't be surprised if we see another Holloway rematch if Holloway is able to go out there and get another victory under his belt um, obviously there was that Yair Rodriguez fight that's been teased for a while that keeps to be going on and off at this point in time but if Holloway goes out there and even gets a title shot after this fight I wouldn't be surprised man that that second fight was super close uh, that you can make a case for Max Holloway so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a trilogy fight here albeit you know Volkanovski up 2-0 already but in terms of this weekend I am going with Alexander Volkanovski I feel rather confident in it as well that he should be able to go out there and stay away from the jiu-jitsu threat of Ortega and then really expose this stri new striking Ortega that seemed to to come about after that Korean zombie fight so um I will also say Ortega very durable um I'd be surprised if Volkanovski actually finishes him here. So I'll be going with Alexander Volkanovski to retain his featherweight strap via decision. And that's a wrap on the breakdowns. Hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you haven't already, please hit that like, hit that subscribe. That's the best way to support your bit. But if you want to go that extra mile, the Patreon is the best way to do so. Make sure you guys check that out. The link is in the description below. Uh, something that I actually forgot to include at the beginning of the, the show here. There are prize picks tips on there as well. I used to drop videos for them. Doesn't seem like the the, the, the the squeeze is worth it anymore. Uh, I'd rather just put it up on the Patreon, which I've been doing over the last several weeks. So if you guys are looking for prize picks tips, I have it up on the Patreon. And then secondly, obviously shout out to CoolBet sponsoring your boy at CoolBet.com. Use promo code MMALOTN2 and... Uh, uh, they'll match your initial deposit up to 200 bucks. Good luck on your bets this weekend. I'll see you guys next week for, I believe it's Santos versus Walker, which is a tremendous light heavyweight matchup that I can't wait to break down for you guys. But there are some cool prop bets and, uh, well, not sorry, prop bets, but just underdog bets and, and bets in general that I'm really looking forward to, uh, to, to capitalizing on for next week. So you guys are definitely going to want to tune in next week. And hopefully I'm able to start dropping some breakdowns for those on the Patreon uh, by Sunday of this week. So you guys can get a little bit of an early start and into seeing what next weekend's card brings to the table all right good luck on your best this weekend and i'll see you guys next week